Hello everyone, my name is Alex Harrington Griffin. I'm your host of the Real Developer Podcast. Welcome back for series three. In this second part of a two-part episode, we speak with Harry Quartermain, my co-host for this session, head of research at Landtech, together with two awesome guests. We've got Harry Keane from the Real Developer accredited firm, London Green, along with Julian Seymour, MD of Kratos Communications. In this session, we dove into the very important subject of public engagement and public consultation, linking it to things like local plan making and examples of what a good case officer looks like and really how to engage with the public across all different formats, whether that be traditional or more digital, modern formats as well. So on that note, let's get on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Real Developer Podcast. This is the second episode of Series 3. We are back talking about uh, the world of local plan making, public engagement, and public consultation, building off the previous episode with covering planning in politics. I am joined by my co-host, Land Tech Head of Research, Harry Quartermain. We've got Julian Seymour, MD at Crazy Communications, and real developer from London Green, Harry Keane, who is uh, yet again turned up with more notes than anyone has ever done beforehand. So I absolutely love it. I'm very lucky to have Harry as my co-host for this session because this is a pretty deep subject, one that I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in, but I get to ask the silly questions that uh, hopefully some of our listeners can uh, jump onto us. Thank you, Alex, for asking the questions we were wondering ourselves. But Harry, I'm going to let you lead this session and I will jump into support wherever I can. Um, yeah, so thanks, Alex. We've just been talking about we've just been talking about politics and planning, and now we're going to talk about the other side of that coin, which is the public participation. Obviously, the politicians there to represent the public, but the public also represent themselves in the planning planning process, and they do that at two points in the process: once during a local plan consultation, uh, and also again they have another bite of the cherry when applications actually come forward. But the level of public engagement in those stages varies quite considerably. I was just looking at one council who ran a public engagement on their local plan. They had over 900 responses. It may seem like a big number, but if you look at their population, that that relates to uh, that equates to 0.02% of their population. So when you've got a local planning document, which is going to steer the next 15 years of growth in their region, is, is engagement with 0.02% of the population adequate? Similarly, planning applications. It's safe to say the, the majority of people are probably either agnostic or indifferent to planning applications unless it actually affects them. So the system we've got at the moment is open to people writing in and telling the officers what they think of planning applications, but the people who write in largely write in to object and the system doesn't give a voice to the um, silent majority of agnostics and indifference. So we're going to talk today about public consultation in two, in two parts. Firstly, about the local plan making section, and then we'll move on to the planning application section. So I want to ask Julian maybe to start with um, engagement with local plan consultations, as I've just outlined, is, is pretty poor. How do we improve this? I think we can start with asking the right question. I think too many local plans start with from the proposition of we have to have this many houses. How do we fit that in? Uh, rather than uh, what do we want for our borough? What do we want for our children? What do we want for the next 15 years? And I, I don't just mean housing. I mean leisure centres. I mean doctor surgeries. I mean motorway infrastructure, whatever it may be. The second part is I think we've gone too small. We're now looking at borough plans. That I think we, we at very least need to go to county plans, but that's a whole other... So I'm not going to talk about that. But um, in local plan making, I think we, we, we've got to ask about what people want, not 
kind of a defensive thing about how little can we get away with because you, you're just starting from the wrong end of the, the barrel. You're starting with a negative. Uh, whereas if you're starting with the aspirations, you're, you're starting with a positive. What, what can I give you that you would, you would like? And if you start with that, you can then say, well, to pay for that, we're going to need to do X. Uh, and that might be, I don't know, 15,000 houses over 15 years. I, I agree with you. But if you read most vision statements in local plans, they all read like they've been written by an AI. They're all talking about, you know, prosperous communities and healthy green spaces. Is there something we can do to make that more tangible? A good question. I, I think this, there's a real role for councillors in this, isn't there? And I think the, the vision statements are often left to officers who have usually got a lot of experience and they're very professional and laudable in the job that they do. But equally, they are not the representatives of the community. It should start with councillors and it should start with their aspirations and, and then... I personally, I think it should be a sort of a rolling traveling workshop around the borough. What are our aspirations rather than here is a vision? Do you agree with it? I think from my point of view, people find it very difficult to engage with a document that's in front of them that's three, four, five hundred pages long. I think what they want to engage with is kind of tangible ideas. And I think there's a role for technology and maybe AI to play in that. I know we're talking about local plan making at the moment, but my, one of my recent public consultations that we went to, we took some headsets with us, the AVR stuff, put them on some of the public and they could walk around the development, they could scale up it, they could go around it. Let's do a similar thing for local plans. I know we can't kind of map out the whole kind of county or whatever or the whole borough, but let's take snippets of those kind of green spaces that we're talking about, about the new motorways, about, you know, areas around stations that are being put in. Let's, let's make the intangibles a bit more tangible. I 100% agree that there's when one of the reasons that engagement with planning applications is uh, cuts through more is you can talk to people about a building. Yeah. If you're talking to people about a an increase in density in an area or a you know increase in footfall or a, you know the buildings are going to go from this dwellings per hectare to that dwellings per hectare or from three stories to five stories people just genuinely can't imagine what that looks like. So I completely agree there's a role for AR particularly in in uh, augmented reality in 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 that I think there's two parts to this question in relation to local plans. I think one you just touched on there, Harry, which is, are we asking the right questions? So with that, you know, you, you talked about the length of a document. You know, I agree. Having been involved in preparing a local plan, you've got the local plan itself, and then you've got these reams of evidence base that goes behind it. Largely, people really struggle to engage with. The, the, the consultants and agents will read it, but the public won't. So, I mean, let me ask you this question. From your point of view, have you ever engaged with a, a local plan consultant? You're going to make me look like a bad developer now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't say I have. I think we were having the question in the green, uh, talking about this question in the green room. And, you know, personally, no, the only kind of time I've done it is when you've got a self-interest. And if there's, you know that there's a draft local plan that's kind of doing the rounds and you get your planning consultant to put in a representation to make sure it's safeguarding kind of your site or the buildings that you've got an interest in and, you know, doing it that way but in terms of kind of generally speaking no i haven't i don't think you look like a bad developer at all because i think that that's gen that was my experience as well from being on the other side like the only representations you get are from people with financial interest in yeah. individual sites who want to make sure they're either put forward or protected from what's going in the local plan but council's got to make it more easier i mean you've talked about ar and I, I totally agree making that breaking the concepts down into something more simple and more tangible is right but equally i know one county level authority which is now a unitary which is doing 
six public consultations across the entire county, that's going to touch a fraction of the population. And unless you walk past it, you're not actually going to go inside unless you have a, maybe you know about the site that's on your doorstep and you're very worried about it. See, you've got to make it easy. You can't just go, well, we put it on Facebook, we put it on, Mm -hmm. we put a few leaflets through doors. It's got to be really, really easy. And that's something that we, we spend a lot of time thinking about is how can you go out to people? Can you incentivize people to engage? Can you, you know, what's the next thing? And is it technology? Is it pop-up events in, uh, in high streets? Is it formal exhibitions? Is it a combination? Uh, the answer is all of those things. Back when I was involved in this, it was during the lockdown and the impact of having to do consultations online was demonstrable. Like you could see there was an uptick in engagement because it wasn't the regulations at the time said you had to have a physical copy in, in, a, in a particular place. And that was changed because of the lockdown. And that meant that more people were able to engage. It's been a couple of years since I've been involved in this now, but and Julian, have you seen that kind of thing? Yeah, it was really interesting. So yeah, we did a lot of engagement online during the lockdown. Firstly, particularly the first one, we had a few schemes going through. Uh, we did a, a really sensitive scheme in Oxford uh, in the historic city centre with uh, the Boswell's department store, which turned it into a hotel. And that was really successful, really successful because we were able to actually give more information than you might do at public exhibition because you can give a presentation, you've got some time, you can take questions. So that worked really well. But as lockdowns went on, even though people basically finished Netflix and had nothing left to do, they didn't want to spend any more time in front of a screen. And so it came down very, very quickly. What did stay relatively high was the number of people then watching it later on YouTube. So the live viewings went down, but the, the number of people watching later stayed relatively stable. Nowadays, we're, we're definitely finding that you, you've got to get in front of people. There's no substitute for it. The digital stuff has actually really dropped off. Okay, that's interesting. People just scroll past. You know, it's very easy to scroll past on Instagram or Facebook or whatever platform you're using. Is that, do you think, related to how the questions asked? Is it digital or online? Is there a, a little bit about what the question is? And it goes back to what Harry was saying before, about if you're saying, what do you think about all this stuff we've done? versus if you're asking a snippet of a question that you can build up into an idea of, of what the place needs to look like. And I know there's there's platforms like Give My View and others that, that are out there that almost gamify gamify the, the consultation process so that uh, you know you're not you're not saying read this five hundred page document and write me a response. They're asking for um, snapshots of an opinion about what happens in this space, do you want the park like this or do you want it to look like that? Where's the future going there? I think you're right that questioning has got much more sophisticated and we're doing a lot more prioritization. What what would you prefer if you had to choose between these four options? And then you're also looking at dropping sticky notes on plans, um, which you can do in person, which works really well. Why can't you do it online? We've got the tools. So that's actually becoming a much better way to do it. But at the same time, People just don't don't want to spend that time, even if it's at night. So we, was, there's still a massive role to play for it, but it can't be the only way you do it. I don't know if you'd be able to improve engagement slightly by, I know the confines of the current planning system kind of makes it set up that, you know, your public consultation is over two days, like one's online, maybe one's in the local sports hall or whatever. Let's start that kind of public consultation from the day you buy a site, you know, make yourself as a developer or as someone like creators very accessible to the public and i think where the public get frustrated is where they are 
presented with almost CGI's of the scheme, you know, or glossy and, you know, you're giving them a finished product. Go to them at the outset, you know, before you potentially even had any pre-apps with the um, with the local council and say, look, these are our very sketchy ideas for this site. We've got lots of public realm as well to deal with. We're not sure what we're going to do with that yet. You know, that's up for grabs. What's your guys' thoughts on that? And then you might get a bit more engagement rather than just going, this is our 10-story building that we're putting on this site and that's it. You know, I think that's when the pitch ports come out. Here's the amenity stuff you're going to get. So, yeah, be grateful. I totally agree. With This Sunday I'm out um, and the team's out on Saturday. I'm out on Sunday. We're going to do a pop-up in Hersham Town Centre. We're going to go and ask people exactly this. And by putting a... We're putting a little gazebo up, giving people a cup of hot chocolate if they come over and talk to us. And, you know, you actually get that conversation going with people who would never come to a formal event. Uh, and it just changes the conversation. You find, sorry, Harry, you mentioned agnostics. I don't think they're all agnostic at all. It's just they haven't been given a chance to give their view. I think there's a level of trust that needs to be built up again, isn't there? Because, I mean, you had this, the case in Greenwich recently where the building's been told to be torn down because it didn't look enough like the CGI's. If you're going out to people and saying, what do you want it to look like? You've then got to deliver that. I think the question I want to ask next is about the development sector and the planning process as part of that is all geared around creating future communities. But the planning process is all geared towards giving a voice to the current communities. How do we ensure that the the voice and the needs of the future community who will live there are accounted for in the process? Yeah, that's not easy. And this is where digital does come in because you can reach far wider with the same amount of resources with digital you find a different audience as well i mean you yeah you can reach a generally a younger population although being a facebook generation we are now aging quite quickly so you fake you can't just use facebook for example you have to think about insta do we even broach tiktok i don't know that can be done digitally but you do have to go out to we go out to schools colleges uh we're doing um a linking up with harlow college with taylor wimpy and we're going to do some pop-ups in the college um, but we're also going to have some workshops with them and work out how can we do some work placements, how can we do some on-the-site training. So there's a real opportunity to make it more of a partnership and bring those young people into the development at an early stage and, and think about what they want, and then they can tell a trick that to their friends. So they've got some, they've got to have somewhere to live in Harlow and, and Gilston, but you have to go out to them. You can't just wait for them to come to you because that won't happen. I think also if the future occupiers of schemes are not raising their voice at that moment in time, it's up to your case officer to a certain extent to do it for them. And I've found that I've had a couple of very pragmatic case officers recently who have dealt with very disgruntled kind of names of different sites. And I think they see or more and more case officers are starting to see the bigger picture. And if you work in tandem with them and you build a rapport and relationship with them, I shouldn't say this, but one the other day actually referred to batting some of the neighbours' comments away. I think case officers across London that I've dealt with are definitely getting a bit more pragmatic in that sense and seeing the bigger picture. Yeah, I had similar feedback from um, someone I know who works in the council and they said they weren't worried about the number of letters, but it's about what's in the letters. It's important. You can have hundreds of letters of objection, but there's only one that raises a good planning issue and that's more important than... Well, I think there's also uh, a disconnect in there because almost all parts of the planning process rely on technical consultants providing a document to the council and the council then judge Mm. those it's only the council that does its own consultation so the statement of community involvement which we all work so hard on we all invest in i'm not sure how many officers actually read those because they do their own consultation and it's a statutory process so we've got to work harder as an industry whether it's us as 
communications consultants or you as developers, Harry, and actually make sure that councillors understand what's coming through that that process that we're doing to make sure that any support is really noted and why it's there and what we've done to it, activate it. So as a kind of final question then, what would be your advice for for developers listening about how to best engage? You mentioned previously about going out to your communities and, and actively rounding them up. Basically. Going early as well. Yeah, who to speak to, when to speak to them, and then how to best articulate that so that it's taken on board by the officer. Yeah, and it's not just by, on board by the officer, it's got to be by the, the committee because they'll make ultimately decision makers. So we don't talk about kind of creating support, we talk about activating support because, you know, you create support, it feels, feels like you're trying to do something a bit odd. When you're mobilising support, you're getting that underlying support there and you're making sure their voices are actually heard. And that can be through letter writing campaigns, it can be turning up on the day, it can be through press events, you know, nice pictures of of people supporting schemes. There is an element of numbers, but equally there's an element of quality. And as you just said, Harry, so we often work with stakeholder groups who represent large numbers of people. So for Taylor Wimpy in Surrey, we're working with the Surrey FA, 12,000 plus people who are wanting more football facilities, for example, we're providing some football facilities, so let's get their voice heard. And it's that way. There's, There's lots of different things to do, but it takes time, it takes work, and it takes a bit of thought in, uh, beforehand. You can't just leave it to the last minute. Yeah, just to build on that, I'd say it takes two to tango. If you're kind of t- treating it as a tick box exercise as the, as the developer, you're going to get that kind of attitude back from the public. If you kind of put yourself on show and make yourself accessible, quite often or not, they'll come in with the pitchforks, but then they'll actually, you know, listen and, you know, you can have a conversation with these people. And yes, their problems or their concerns might not go away, but at least they then are making that decision with more informed facts about the entirety of the development rather than kind of just their point of view. And you can definitely build trust even if you disagree. Yes, yes. Probably save yourself a little bit of time, Harry. Just put the glitter on you, first of all, when you turn up there as well. Which might save the uh, protest a little bit of... uh, Make me look a bit better. A bit of time as well, yeah. Yes, that's all we've got time for for this episode. Thank you very much for your contributions and your views as well on the prep work. And of course, to my co-host, Harry, we will see you back for the next episode. Hello, everyone. It's your host, Alexander Griffin, again, just to say thank you for joining us for this episode. If you liked it, hit the like button, subscribe, and of course, share it with your peers. A big thank you to our partners, Land Tech, for powering this episode. If you want to find out more about their products like Land Insight or Land Fund, go to land.tech or follow Landtech on LinkedIn for SME developer updates, finance updates, and of course, the data and research mentioned in this episode. We'll see you back for the next session when we get into some real development conversation. Thank you.